from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for December 23rd, 2022. Only two shopping days till Christmas. I'll save you a place in line at the Quick Trip. Checking with the calendar, the best team in the NBA, the Bucks, are in Brooklyn tonight and Boston on Sunday. The Packers are hitting the beach. They're in Miami with the Dolphins on Christmas Day. Okay, the late TV host Regis Philbin had a gold card that gave him free McDonald's for life. That may be what killed him. Because of his lust for picnic baskets, a wild black bear was recently removed from the Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee and shipped off to Cherokee National Forest in Georgia. Well, a thousand miles is not going to keep Yogi from his favorite food. The bear walked through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and back into Tennessee and right back to his favorite picnic table. And he did all that without a GPS or an iPhone. The state of California has just licensed a young woman to keep a unicorn in her backyard. This is what happens when you legalize magic mushrooms. So what's wrong with this picture? A Japanese motorcyclist rode his bike into a police station lobby to demand a crackdown on rude driving. And our silly headline of the week comes from Eugene, Oregon. The county is going to pay $250,000 to advertise that it's out of money. I've got three words for Eugene, Oregon. Go fund me. On the podcast today, we have Adam Bailey, Mike Helsel, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. A bit of a mixed week. NASDAQ down 1.9% this week, closing at the bell at 10,498. The S&P down just seven points for the week, down two-tenths of a percent, closing at 38.45. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a positive week, up nine-tenths of a percent, closing at 33,205 for the year. That NASDAQ still down more than 32%, down 32.3, including dividends. The S&P down 18. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average still fighting back, trying to get back to positive territory before the end of the year, but a ways to go down 6.7%, including dividends. That's a, a quick look at the week so far. You know, I think as we enter the, the Christmas weekend here, as we've been dealing with an immense amount of disruption across the country from uh, first a, a pretty significant potential snowstorm. Maybe by us, it didn't turn out to be all that much snow, uh, but followed by bitter, bitter cold today, uh, blowing winds. Uh, and that's kept uh, a number of us away from the office. So uh, I think just one more reminder uh, that, you know, we we have the ability now as a company, now as a as a global workforce uh, to do things that maybe didn't come quite as easily in the past. Uh, but Adam, that doesn't mean that this kind of weather doesn't have an economic impact. Uh, and I was struck by uh, a meteorologist report today that uh, this kind of, of market uh, or this kind of weather event can have uh, an impact in the billions of dollars. I'm not sure I uh, am going to subscribe to the economic uh, news coming from the meteorologists, given some of their 
uh, record on weather, but certainly some reasons to think that this kind of cold stretch, this kind of snow, uh, especially leading up to uh, you know Christmas, a, a really important holiday shopping season, is going to have an impact on the economy as we look ahead. Yeah, I mean, it can certainly impact spending and um, you know, spending behavior and spending pan- patterns. For all of the flights that were canceled, uh, you know, you're not going to see those sales come through or hotels, hotel sales come through right now. But if you have your flight canceled, you know, what happens, you probably postpone that flight to some other time, maybe in the spring or, or whatnot. But then it also does shape, uh, you know, different type of spending. I mean, look at me today. Here I'm working from home and doing this podcast. And what did I have to do? I ended up buying online a headset so that we could record for today. So it does kind of shape some spending in that manner. And if you're not going to go outside and and go to the store and buy, you could certainly buy online. And you know, I'm just reminded of some of the online spending that we saw, you know, earlier on, like Black Friday sales, nine billion dollars online, Cyber Monday sales, eleven billion dollars online. So it does change some spending. So even though we have bad weather, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have a bigger picture impact to spending. It can just shape the way that we we go out there and spend. And Adam, I, I was actually, uh, I'm sorry, Kyle, I, I was actually looking and found some uh, numbers from the, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, um, looking at the impact of uh, weather and climate disasters in the U.S. since 1980. And they estimate, and they say that the estimates are probably low, that it costs, uh, that it costs more than $2.3 trillion in that time. Um, so that's averaging about $53 billion every year um, that's lost on, on things like, you know, uh, lost travel and, and opportunities that, you know, things that had to be canceled and things that couldn't get done. Um, but, you know, in the, in the past, we've we've um, covered these sorts of things and we sort of fret about a, a, a you know, a tornado somewhere or a hurricane somewhere. Um, and there's a lot of times when it's really big, there's an immediate impact. But in the months that follow, um, there's reconstruction, there's money that goes back into the economy that pumps it up again. So um, a lot of these things, even though it's kind of hard to poo-poo this winter storm that we've had, uh, over the long run, it seems to to at least even out. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we need to point out that that exact thing, that as we look at December's uh, economic data that'll start coming out in January and February. One of the things that will be pointed to that was a disruption to some of the normal flow of data is that, well, there was this storm that we had to deal with. And I think, you know, this isn't atypical for this time of year. It's not atypical for um, kind of the, the typical seasonal pattern of some of this reporting, but it is one more thing that shakes up, you know, the month to month news cycle when we're looking at the economic data. And so I think it's a reminder that you care about trend, you care about pattern, you care about direction. The absolute number on a month-to-month basis maybe isn't quite as important, um, you know, other than the really big ones and the really small ones, but because there's so much nuance in the underlying data. And so we got to be careful how much, uh, you know, stock we put in, um, you know, the reporting that's going to come out in January on some of the economic data. Just like every month, there's a, a lot of noise in, in the data that comes out. You know, Mike, the uh, 
the talk for the last couple of weeks has been on uh, the passage of an omnibus spending bill, this ability to kind of keep the government operating. Um, you know, I think from a, a big picture perspective, a lot of things buried in a 4,000 page bill passed by the Senate on Thursday, passed by the House, uh, just as we were recording this, making its way to the, the president for signature. Um, you know, all of that stuff is kind of secondary in terms of its, you know, immediate impact to a pretty significant change uh, that was baked into this spending bill on required distributions from IRAs. Yeah. So, I mean, deadlines spur action and no one exemplifies that more than Congress. Um, but one of the big things in this bill was that now they're pushing the RMD or required minimum distribution to uh, age 73, where you have, used to have to start taking it at age 72. Um, and that's going to be big for a lot of people who would have had to start taking it next year, uh, especially coming off a year like we're having a down year. Now they don't need the money. It just gives them more time for their portfolios and their stocks to recover. So they don't have to, they're not required to take anything out. Um, I mean, that is the big one. And also the other one I looked at is you sent some data around the, the catch-ups for contributing to your IRAs or your Roths or anything are now being indexed, you know, to the cost of living adjustments, which I think is a big deal because, you know, normally it goes up maybe 500 bucks every, what, two, three years, you know, they do that. Now, if those are adjusted to inflation, I think that's going to help a lot of people out when contributing to their Roths or IRAs and just going to help them uh, for retirement. Joel, I think a reminder about kind of the contract that we make as part of the the, the saving in an IRA or in, in that tax deferred bucket, we get the benefit up front, but of course there's some costs down the road. And that's the whole reason they have that you know required minimum distribution is is it's it's sort of a deal that historically has been made to say, hey, we'll give you these tax breaks on setting this money aside and investing it for your retirement. So your retirement is sounder uh, because we want that for you, but then we want you to spend it in retirement. We don't want you to just sit on that money. So they, you know, they have those provisions to say, you know, starting at whatever age now, you know, it started at 70 and a half. Um, now it's gradually going to work up to 75 or a hundred or no, so, 75 i think it is but um <laughs> but 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 you know so to say that you know at that age you have to start spending it down and and we also had um you know adjustments in recent years too about if if you do pass away and you haven't spent down all that money how that money is dealt with by the people in, who inherit the ira from you um you know spouses it's a little more liberal but it's getting stricter for people who aren't spouses yeah, you know, my takeaway from the bill is that it kind of does two things at once is it allows you to do some more saving in your working years and then delaying when you are required to take distributions initially to 73 and then for a lot of younger folks, 75 and they're on. And I think it does go a long way to help alleviate one of the, you know, American saving for retirement crisis, you know, the savings dollars crisis where it's, it hasn't necessarily been a market performance issue or like an investment vehicle issue. It's been a savings issue and allowing people to save more during their working years and then delayed distributions down the road can really go a long way in the years to come to making sure um, Americans' monies last as long as they do. And that's, you know, partly accomplished by the bill. 
Kyle, do those later um, RMD requirements, does that provide opportunities, better opportunities for planning for retirees? Yeah, for a couple of reasons, because going back to one of the things you you were mentioning just a bit earlier, Joel, you know, the, the objective is you save money tax deferred in that IRA. And then when you hit your required distribution age, you have to spend it. Well, you don't actually have to spend it. You just have to get it out of the IRA. And so, you know, I think the, the benefit here is things like qualified charitable distributions are still tied to age 70 and a half. So by pushing the required distribution age back a few years, you have this window now from 70 and a half to 73 or to 75, looking out, you know, 10 years from now, where now you can take some money out as long as you're gifting it to a qualified charity, you don't, you don't get taxed on it. It doesn't show up as taxable income, um, but you don't have to. Uh, and so you can better navigate tax brackets. It used to be Medicare age, uh, Social Security age until RMDs. You had this window where you could do some tax bracket navigation. Well, the longer you delay those required distributions, the longer that window stays open to try to figure out, OK, how can we maximize the benefits we're getting from the IRA money? That doesn't mean you don't take it out. It means you have a conversation about should we take it out? Even though you don't have to, it doesn't mean you shouldn't. And, you know, what do you do with those distributions then? I love the idea of doing some elective Roth conversions, like maybe in your late 60s to early 70s. And now the window is left open just a little bit longer. And you get an extra year initially and then to 75 to really take a look at your tax bracket and where you are. And if you can get some money out of the IRA at the lower tax bracket, maybe 12%, something like that. I think this this now leaves the window open for some of those elective Roth conversions down the road. And that's a great planning topic to have. Yeah. So if nothing else, the, the new legislation gives us one more conversation that we can have along the way. I think a good reminder that um, while we aren't tax preparers, we're part of that conversation. Um, and, and so we want to make sure that we're on the on the same team as far as kind of making sure that we're getting you the most bang for your buck. That means we pay the taxes we owe. I'm all about paying what we owe. Um, but if we can help to limit some tax liability um, down the road, we're going to do that. And so I think, you know, that's a, it's a great conversation to continue to have as we go on. Um, you know, I think the the other thing that has started to really develop uh, over the last month, and Mike, this is something that you've been talking about now, I feel like uh, long before I saw it popularly written, but, you know, we talked for a long time about one of the, the biggest inflationary pressures is this meaningful disruption in supply chain. Well, let's remember that, um, you know, those problems aren't resolved overnight, but it does seem like we're getting some meaningful progress towards resolving the supply chain issues. An article from the Wall Street Journal uh, very recently talking about those very things. It's almost as if they were listening in on some of your conversations. Yeah, I mean, mark it down that I beat the Wall Street Journal by a month under the category of sunshines on a dog's butt every once in a while. Um, <laughs> no, no, but you're right. I mean, it's stuff we have been talking about how for a long time, you know, you got the shots of the news were like empty shelves and it was a harbinger of doom for the economy. And we always talk like, you know, there are supply chain issues when we come out of a pandemic, when there's the COVID issues in China. And so 
that those were going to ease eventually. And when they do, that was going to help bring down in, you know, um, the inflation numbers just on their own. Cause like we've said, the guy who's shipping something from Shanghai to LA doesn't care what Jerome Powell says. He just wants to know how much it costs to get his product from his shores to another and get them on the shelves. And so now we're seeing that some of the stats from that article, I thought were really interesting where FedEx who, you know, they had pretty good earnings um, this past quarter. Basically they've, they've been kind of on the street thinks that they're like a harbinger of what's to come. They're kind of a little bit of a bellwether for the economy, how well they're doing sometimes. And they're, on time rate is up to over 95% where last year it was under 84. Um, they now have the capacity to handle like three to 5 million more packages where last year they were running at a deficit. And I thought this was a pretty good one because it's just one company, but it kind of shows where we're at is Procter and Gamble expects to spend a hundred million dollars less than anticipated on shipping which means they can do numerous things with that. I mean, and one thing that always helps is like stock buybacks and stuff like that. That's going to help out the market. But if all these companies are spending less on shipping because the prices have come down, that's, I mean, I don't know if I have to say it, but that's just a good thing, right? Like that, they can do a lot. They can grow businesses. They can give, uh, that's more workers uh, raises, you can do so many different things if you're spending a hundred million dollars less on shipping. So, yeah, as a, we've seen now, the supply chain disruptions. I'm not going to say they're over, but they've eased dramatically, and you can tell that by when you go into the stores. There's there's things on the shelves, and there's a lot more of them. So, yeah, I again, I'm not going to toot my own horn, or I'm not going. I don't want to use the term hero, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, we at the we at the office have called it for a while, and it's just nice to see that it's now kind of getting the national recognition that it should. Yeah, you know, the market loves to look forward, you know, what's coming down the pike, and we're starting to see that the supply chain issues and constraints that have been plaguing us this year are starting to alleviate. And that's directly impacted inflation. I mean, take a look at PCE, right? Personal consumption expenditure, uh, you know, this week came out. It's lower than anticipated, now gradually moving back down to the 5% range. And those two things, those are the two biggest issues kind of weighing over the market, which could be alleviating themselves next year. And that directly can impact earnings down the road. Joel, all kinds of economic data this week. And, you know, I think continuing to paint a picture of an economy that is has been on a solid foundation but which is showing some signs of slowing showing some some cracks potentially um you know nothing that indicates that you know the the good days are over entirely but certainly i think you know housing data is just one example of something that's been been showing some signs of slowing yeah that's that's an early sign i think uh, talk about harbingers i mean of of the the effect of the Fed raising interest rates, right? The mortgage rates are double what they were a year ago. And so we had numbers this week from the Department of Commerce and from the National Association of Realtors showing how um, the housing industry is is down. And, you know, it's it's been, uh, what do we have? Housing starts and um, building permits for single family houses are back to the levels that they were um, just after the pandemic started. You know, in, in May and in June of, of 2020, um, the the National Association of Realtors reported that uh, home sales, existing home sales, 
have been down for 10 months in a row. They're 35% below what they were a year ago. So those, those are real clear signs for that industry. And, and Adam referred to the, the uh, consumer spending report, and that showed that in November, um, spending basically was flat. Remember, we always re, you know, remind that two-thirds to you know, 71% of the gross domestic product comes from consumer spending. And um, and it was flat uh, if, if you adjusted for inflation. The other thing that was interesting is that November was the first time in four months where um, the, the rate of spending was less than the rate of income. So people have been sort of outspending what they've been bringing in in income in recent months. And that's starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a sign that, um, you know, as inflation comes out of control, the, the need to outspend income and, uh, is is decreasing. Of course, you know, long term, you can only spend what you can earn uh, or you start to, as a household, get into a pretty tricky situation. Um, we had seen some pretty significant built up savings uh, from the early days of the pandemic. Um, and so it's possible on a temporary basis, certainly to outspend income. Um, but I think encouraging to see that those numbers have started to level off, I think it's a sign on the one hand that maybe we're a little bit less optimistic about the direction forward. We're a little less willing to spend money that maybe we don't have in our income today. Uh, on the other, I think it's a sign that the spending that's taking place right now is more sustainable mm-hmm. than you know perhaps the spending that we were dealing with uh, a little while back. You know, tie the consumer spending to GDP this week, right? I mean, revised up 3.2%. Um, that's a sizable number. And, you know, consumer spending really is the the engine that drives the economy. And you take a look at spending, and it's painting a picture of an economy that's expanding at a steady pace and not really on the cusp of a recession. I mean, we've we've talked about that in the past. And you know, granted, it will make the year-over-year comparisons, uh, you know, a year from now, that much a little bit more challenging. But still, it's painting a picture of slow and steady in the economy. Well, what I what I like to uh, juxtapose that to is the survey of leading economic indicators, Joel. Which, um, you know, while the economy has been fairly strong, and while the expectations are uh, seemingly improving a little bit, you know the the conference board's survey shows that maybe there's some pessimism out there still as well. Yes, Kyle, it's not just consumer spending that's driving the economy. So the the uh, leading indicators look at other factors that are that are going on, uh, including housing and, and manufacturing and uh, other factors. And they found that uh, for for the month of November that um, it was the the the, the only positive indicator that they had was stock prices going up. Um, and you know we know just through volatility that that's not happening month after month after month. So so yeah, so they um, the, the conference board, which is a business research group, um, took a look at those indicators and they say that you know based on what they're seeing there, that the economy probably is going to contract, that it's probably going to get into a recession you know, sometime early in 2023 and maybe to, to mid 2023. But these other things that we're talking about, the, the strength of consumer spending, the, the fact that, um, you know, as Adam pointed out uh, a couple of cod- podcasts ago, that the, the debt service ratio for, for households is, is relatively low. So people are in a better position 
to keep that engine running, um, even if we do, do go into a slight contraction. And I think sometimes we look at these competing data sets and, and wonder how they can stand against each other the way they do. And I think it's a reality of the economy we're in right now. We're seeing areas of the economy that are obviously seeing the impacts of the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes, while other areas are still benefiting from things like high employment. And so, you know, as you look at kind of the outlook for what all this leads to, it leads to the likelihood that some areas of the economy are going to see some slowing. Others may remain fairly strong for a while longer. And it's one of the reasons as we talk about kind of the outlook for next year, yeah, there's a there's a pretty high likelihood that parts of the economy are going to see recessionary pressure. Um, it seems less likely that they all pile on together the way they have in prior periods because we're still seeing strength in some areas is, even as we see weakness in, in others. And so I think, you know, this is kind of a unique situation where you can see some of this data uh, competing against each other for headlines, telling a different story. Um, it doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong. I think it means that the economy is in a pretty interesting place right now, that there's going to be areas of opportunity and areas of weakness that we probably will cycle through some of those areas of opportunity and areas of weakness as the year goes on. Um, and most importantly, I think it it tells us that, you know, as we look ahead, it's going to be more important what the expectations are and less important what kind of the, the last month or last quarter's worth of data showed us, because ultimately that's what investors are looking at is expectations for the road ahead. Uh, as always, we enjoy doing the program for you. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.